Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondak, and today I'm speaking with Yossi Sheffi about his new book, Logistics Clusters, Delivering Value and Driving Growth. Yossi Sheffi, an international expert in supply chain management, is professor of engineering systems at MIT and director of the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. He's worked with leading manufacturers around the world on logistics issues and is an active entrepreneur, having founded or co-founded five companies since 1987. Yossi Sheffi, thank you so much for taking time to talk to the MIT Press Podcast today. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. So could you begin by describing what a logistics cluster is? A logistics cluster is a collection of businesses whose main business is logistics and supply chain management. They include the, and we are talking about the geographical agglomeration. Businesses are in close proximity to each other. The type of businesses include carriers such as trucking, railroad, airline companies. They include what we call third-party logistics uh, company or logistics service companies. They include the logistics operations of manufacturers and retailers. And they include companies for whom logistics is a large part of their cost structure, such as heavy industry, for example, automotive industry. Your first chapter is about the Spanish town of Zaragoza. Uh, what yes. did Zaragoza do in the development of their logistics cluster that you feel is worthy of emulation? First of all, Zaragoza, there are several elements there. First of all, they started in some sense from um, totally tabula rasa, from the beginning. They built on, uh, on a brown field. But to me, the most interesting thing was how they got together all the stakeholders to do this immense project. It's the largest logistics park in Europe. And they got the state of, uh, of Aragon, one of the 17, what we would call state, they, they would call communities of Spain. They got the city of Zaragoza, they got labor, they got every element of civil society to participate in this. Even though, for example, the government, the party that was the, um, the ruling uh, party in Aragon was in a minority both in the city of Zaragoza and in the federal Madrid government. They got the federal government to participate, they got the city to participate, they got all stakeholders to participate in buying huge tract of farmland and turned them into a very large logistics park. To me, the most amazing thing about this was how in a democracy, a project of this size was a, a came into being in such a short time. Did Zaragoza have any natural, I want to say, geographic advantages to being a logistics cluster? Or was it pretty much, as you say, tabula rasa, the powers that be got together said, this would be good for our economy and let's do it, even though, unlike, say, a Singapore, which on the Malay Peninsula has a very advantageous geographic position, you know, I, could, I didn't get a sense that Zaragoza was necessarily someplace you'd put a logistics cluster if it was just developing naturally without any sort of government influence. You are 100% right. When you talk about locations such as uh, Singapore or uh, Dubai or uh, um, Holland or LA or New York, they are much more natural locations because a lot of freight go, goes uh, in and out. There, Zaragoza is, in some sense, in the middle of nowhere. It's not next to any big city, port, airport. But it has an advantage location in the sense it's in the uh, center, it's in between the four largest cities of uh, Spain, Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, and Bilbao. 
It's also relatively close to South um, West France, Toulouse, and the whole uh, industrial area in Southwest France. So it has a reasonably good, quote-unquote, in the middle location from uh, which stuff can be distributed to the entire Iberian Peninsula. This said, however, it took a lot of um, in vision to understand that this could be a good location. Partly, of course, there are other uh, reasons it was so successful. Part of the reason, as I said, is that Barcelona is constrained by the city, between the city and the, uh, and the water. So is Valencia, so is Bilbao. So some of the biggest uh, port are constrained by the city development. So it helped them um, with their development. But still, the most amazing thing was how the whole community, the whole society decided that this would be a good idea, did it, and it was an unqualified success. So I learned a lot from this book. I really, really liked it. One of the things that I, because I'm a bit of a history buff, when somebody would come in, and, you know, we're in North America, when somebody asked me, can you give me a name of a logistics cluster in North America, I might not necessarily have thought of the ports like Los Angeles, New York. My first thing would have been Memphis, because I think of Federal Express. What I learned from your book is, even before the Federal Express and the famous story about Fred Smith getting a C on his paper at Yale about this idea, is that Memphis was already a bit of a logistics hub, even before the Federal Express came into being. So could you talk about, what can we see from Memphis as far as a story? development pre-FedEx and then post-FedEx as to how these things can develop in a country such as the United States where maybe there's a little bit more uh, pushback on government getting involved in certain projects. A lot of these logistics clusters have a history behind them. Before we go to, uh, to Memphis, let me just mention that Zaragoza used to be a logistic cluster in Roman times. It used to be uh, Caesar Augustus is the one who made Zaragoza is is a logistics uh, hub. And by the way, the name Zaragoza come from Caesar Augustus. If you say it quickly, it sounds like Zaragoza. And that's actually where the name came from. Uh, Memphis, many other locations have a history of being a crossroad in, in developing into a logistic cluster. In the case of Memphis, it was the river uh, right, right on the Mississippi. It was a big center of cotton trading well before the Wright brothers, certainly well before FedEx. It was a big trucking center because of its location in the, in the relative middle of the country. So when FedEx moved in, it of course puts it in a different category. But even then, after FedEx moved in and it became what some call Iotropolis, a industrial development around an airport, or a city, urban development around, uh, around an airport built on the services offered by the airport. As many people in the community, and I interviewed a lot of people in Memphis said, you know, and I have some quote in the book, it says, many people, many industries come and locate there because of FedEx, because they think everything has to go overnight. Then they find out that not everything has to go overnight. And it's a lot cheaper to send stuff by truck and sometimes by rail and sometimes by barge. And the fact that Memphis has what we call quadra mode possibility, it has air, rail, truck, and barge. Businesses can find the right mix of modes to optimize their distribution. This is what makes Memphis today 
a great logistic city. You know, if I were a city planner or a regional planner and I picked up this book, I would start getting excited about all sorts of things. But one of the things you bring out is the nice thing about these jobs and logistics clusters is you really can't outsource them. Similar to you can't outsource your barber. Most of the stuff that are logistics clusters are not something that can be, apart from the capital investment that organizations have to put into an area, these aren't jobs that can magically, you know, magically be put, put someplace else into a lower cost country just because of the nature of the logistics cluster. Could you talk about those economic advantages the economic advantages start from the fact that larger conveyances larger airplanes larger ship longer trains are much uh, less expensive to operate than smaller conveyances that's why we go to larger plane larger ships you know longer train which means when you go over longer distances when transportation is important you want to go with the largest conveyance possible. That's why we bring large ships from China to the uh, port of LA or any other, any of the other ports. From there, we go with a, a mile or two mile long trains to someplace in the middle of the country, being Chicago, Kansas City, Memphis, whatever. From there, the distribution to the retail store has to be done because there are many of them. They're in urban area. has to be done with small vehicles. So this type of economics of transportation dictate that you have to have the, dis the distribution capability in country next to your population centers. So this kind of dictates the fact that you cannot outsource logistics. In addition, there's another uh, issue. The demand for all product is changing constantly. It's very variable and becoming more so all the time. When you have the distribution center or the logistic cluster close to your retail and, uh, and population center, there's a last chance ability to modify the product and customize it before it gets to the retail channel or to the consumer. This, again, can be done only very close to the time that the customer actually buys it. Another reason why logistics and distribution centers have to be located in country and why the jobs there are not offshoreable. You cannot take this, you cannot do local distribution from China, Vietnam, or Mexico even, or anywhere else. You talk a little bit about the environmental impacts that can happen in a logistics cluster and that they do impact local environments. Is this a, I mean, could you talk about, I guess, the criticisms that come into place and whether you sure. think they're valid? Look, logistic clusters, they're not as uh, bad in some sense as manufacturing clusters. There are no uh, smokestacks that spew bad stuff into there. Yet, logistics clusters do create congestion, because there are lots of trucks moving around, sometimes rail, like uh, places like Chicago. They create bad air quality around them because of all the uh, diesel fumes and noise sometimes. Because of this, however, logistic clusters have become hotbed of innovation. For example, around the port of LA, the port of LA forced all the trucks into the coming in and out of the port of LA to comply with certain regulation that basically meant that truckers had to buy new and efficient trucks. The Port of LA also has several funding mechanisms for very innovative transportation solutions like hybrid trucks, uh, you know, electric trucks. And if you think about it, these type of uh, clusters are ideal for hybrid and electric vehicles because, you, because the trips are short. So you can have stations, charging stations around the area and recharge whenever you need to recharge them. So furthermore, if you think about biodiesel, the two biggest center of biodiesel in the world 
are Singapore and Rotterdam, the two of the biggest ports in the world, because the concentration of logistics activity and environmental pressure means that this is the place where innovation is taking place. And there are many more innovation happening in almost any uh, logistic cluster that you can think about. So in that sense, they're actually helping solve a problem and mitigate uh, uh, these issues. You talk about some of the logistics clusters that are being developed in the People's Republic of China. And obviously, they have their own unique, uh, when I say geographical issues within that area. Are there other clusters that are being developed in some of the other fast developing countries, the BRICS as it were, Brazil, Russia, India, that we should be keeping our eyes on? Absolutely. I'll give you some examples. Panama, for example, is expanding the Panama Canal. However, Panama does not want to be just a toll road and take just toll from the ships that go through. What they're building, they're building huge logistic clusters at both ends of the canal, at the Panama Pacifico at one at, at the Pacific side and Cologne port on the, on the Atlantic side. What their plan is, the biggest ship in the world will come through the canal and offload the container on one side or the other, depending uh, where they're going. From there, they'll move into warehouses in Panama. There's some value-added operation will be done on them some of the uh, postponement or uh, local customization issue, sometimes repair. And from there, it will be distributed throughout the east coast of the United States and the east coast of Latin America. Panama wants to displace Sao Paulo, Brazil, as the biggest port in the, uh, for Latin America. Another example is Abu Dhabi. And both Abu Dhabi and Dubai are developing what they call logistics cities. The biggest uh, airport in the world is being developed in Dubai and a very large port bringing um, cargo from Southeast Asia to Europe and transshipping this in Dubai. So there are many, many examples. Uh, Cartagena in Colombia is investing in building a logistic cluster and becoming a leading port in uh, South America. So many, many developing countries are seeing logistics, building the infrastructure, building the expertise, building the IT necessary, building the financial services necessary, building logistics ecosystem, because this in turn attracts other industries. So not only the logistics industry in there, but if you have good transportation, high, le high level of service, lots of warehousing expertise, the right uh, you know, free trade zone, the right government policies, Manufacturing will also come to this place. And there are many examples like Indianapolis that started as a logistics center that became a cluster of, in that case, pharmaceutical industry. Actually, even in Memphis, one of, we mentioned Memphis, one of the largest logistic clusters in the United States, there are, there's a whole, there's a significant industry and a subcluster of medical devices industry that are built on the logistic cluster. Yossi Sheffi, the author of Logistics Clusters, Delivering Value and Driving Growth. Thanks so much for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mitpress. And you can follow us on Twitter, where we are at mitpress. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2012, the MIT Press. All rights reserved.